Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. Um, starting a new series today called Great. It's just a two-week series. I thought, let's do a short one, right? Because we've got two weeks in this Missions uh, Emphasis Month, and we're going to do a two-week series called Great. And I thought, oh, golly, we're going to do uh, something about the Great Commandment, and we're going to do something about the Great Commission, and I'll call it Great, and it makes total sense. And then I started getting into it, and I realized, okay, the Great Commandment's kind of good, and we'll kind of dovetail off that today, but we're going to talk about what it means to be a great neighbor, which kind of dovetails right there. But as I started studying, I thought, well, that's really where the Lord wants to take me, and so I figure, why ignore the Lord? So we'll just go where the Lord wants. We're going to talk about what it means to be a great neighbor today, and next week we're going to talk about the Great Commission, about going out from here. So um, we're going to talk about being a great neighbor. Now, I want to give you guys some background. Before we read our story today, um, I thought that we might want to understand um, the background of the story so that when we hear it, we hear it like the, the, the people who would have heard it when it was being told, right? So we have to understand some stuff first so that we don't hear with ears from 2017, but we hear with ears like back in Jesus's day ears, okay? So here's a few things that we need to know. We're going to be learning a story about uh, Jericho and Jerusalem. So I wanna give you some fast facts. Um, And the first is, here's a map, it's really, you know, discolored. But you guys can see the purple and the purple, right? Okay, so here's the, the Dead Sea and the little river that runs up, okay? Normally it's positioned the other way, Uh, So you see the Dead Sea down here, and it goes all the way up. But I want you to know Jerusalem is here, okay, and Jericho is here, okay? So these are two very important cities in our story today, Jerusalem and Jericho, and they don't look that too far apart, okay? It's about 20 miles, about 20 miles apart, Jerusalem and Jericho, okay? Now, uh, the elevation distance is significant. Uh, Jerusalem is here, okay, and Jericho is here. So, okay, Jerusalem, Jericho, Jerusalem, Jericho, okay? Um, It's about 3,000 feet different, okay, in elevation. So Jericho is actually, here's the Mediterranean Sea, Jericho is 800 feet below sea level, okay? And Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. So I I need you to understand that today when we're talking about our story, because otherwise you're like, Jerusalem and Jericho, no big deal. It's like a hop, skip, and a jump, 20 miles straight across. No, it's not. It is an elevation change of about 3,000 feet. So your ears are going to pop. And it, it's, I mean, you know, it's not a gentle decline, shall we say, right? This is a, um, a hike meant for experienced hikers, okay? This is a black diamond kind of thing, right? Okay? Now... Uh, yeah, this is, this is like fall and break your bones kind of difficulty. Now, I want you to see what the terrain looks like here, okay? This is kind of what it looks like, okay? You're standing on the top and you're looking down, and these are called wadis. Um, it's a fancy word for during flood season, the river rushes through these areas, okay? 
Um, let's get a close-up of what it might look like if you're walking through, say, right here, okay? Right? So this, during flood season, would fill with water, and that's what cut these channels. But it's rocky, and it's gross, and there's all these outcroppings, and it's dangerous, and the rocks are falling. And really, I mean, 20 miles of this is dangerous, okay? So I need us to understand the frame here, okay? Now, a few other things we need to understand as you look at this picture, okay? I'm going to explain to you the players in the story today. First, we have a priest in the story. I'm giving away what the story is if you know the story at all. We have a priest, okay? Now, a priest is like a pastor, okay, in the modern equivalent. He was the person who entered into the temple, and he made the sacrifices for the people, and he did the purification rites for the Jewish people in Israel, and he had to be ritually pure in order to enter into the, the temple for the people. He was a descendant of the people of Aaron, okay, and God said the descendants of Aaron would be priests, and they would enter into the temple, and they would do the rituals for the Jewish people, okay? So we've got the priest. Now, second character we're going to meet is a Levite. And you're like, I don't know what a Levite is. Great. I will tell you what a Levite is. A Levite also works in the temple, okay? They are descendants of Levi, right? That's where they get their name. They're the Levites, okay? Descendants of Levi. And they assisted the priests, but they couldn't perform the sacrifices. So it would be like the pastor who's ordained in the Nazarene church can distribute the communion elements, right? Okay? But if you are not ordained in the Nazarene church, you cannot distribute the communion elements, but you can help right, by doing other things in the ministry service. right? So it's kind of like that. They're lay leaders in great position in the church, but they actually can't do the sacrifices and stuff that are required by the law. Um, they also need to be ritually pure, but it's not such a high standard that the priests have. Okay? Next, we're going to meet a Samaritan. Okay, everybody go, boo, hiss, right? Okay, okay, because like good God-fearing people in this day, they did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were like the black sheep of the family. They, um, they were once intermarried with the Jewish people, and the people who intermarried, they produced a group called the Samaritans, and they were like distant cousins, but the Jewish people would go like way out of their way to avoid Samaritan Gentile country, because even to walk on their earth, even to walk in their city, would defile you as a Jew. They were so dirty and horrible. They weren't even people, okay? The Jewish people looked at, seriously, the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans as less than, Okay? And so they were hard. You didn't drink from their well. You didn't go in their town. You certainly didn't talk to them, right? And that's why when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman and drank from the well there, it was like a big no-no, right? A rabbi, a, a, a leader in the Jewish people doing all of these things. It was wrong, 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 okay? Now, so we've got the Samaritan, an outsider hated by the Jewish people. Um, and then we've got a Jew in our story, right? God's chosen holy people, right? Before the Lord, blameless. They have their rules and their regulations, and God loves them, and he doesn't love anybody else. He loves the Jews, and they focused on ritual holiness and ritual purity, and they had the priests who did the sacrifices for them, and the Levites who served them in the temple, and they were good, God-fearing people, right? So we know who the good guys are, the Jews, and we know who the bad guys are, the Samaritans, and we know where we are located, right? And now we're going to read the story. 
So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then after I'm done praying, if we would stand for the reading of the word. Lord, thank you for your story in the scripture this morning. Thank you for the way that you teach us about ourselves. The way that when your words are presented to us, they are like a mirror. And we really see ourselves as we are according to your holy standard. And this morning, I pray that as we hear your words spoken to us, it would convict us in a way that would make us live differently from here on out. And I pray that your words would be gentle but strong to our hearts this morning. May you speak loud and clear. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you would read, stand for the reading of the word. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Okay, so as you find that, and I find that, here we go. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, as I read this story to you, I want you to listen for two things, okay? Two questions. There are two questions asked in this story. How many questions? Two. Two. And what are you going to be listening for? Two. Two questions, okay? So just listen for them. See if they pop out to you, because we're going to talk about those two questions today. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher... What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read the law? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, Well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Question number one. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Going down, right? The big hills. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 3,000 feet. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw he passed by on the other side of the road and so likewise a levite when he was coming to the place he saw him and passed by on the other side of the road but a samaritan and he was journeying came to the place where the jewish man was and when he saw him he had compassion and he went to him and he bound up his wounds and he poured oil and wine on them and then he lifted him and he set him on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him and the next day he took two denarii, two days wages and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay when i come back this way which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers question two and he said, the lawyer, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord for you. You may be seated. Okay, so two questions, right? Two questions. The first question was what? Who is my neighbor? I love lawyers, right? is literally looking for a loophole. He understands what the law of God says, right? Love the Lord your God, right? The great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus says, if you just do that, you will inherit eternal life. And so the lawyer thinks about that for a minute, and he says, okay, I'm about dotting every I and crossing every T, and I'm about all the, I'm thumb got about backwards there just then, but I got it right. Dotting every I, crossing every T. So I understand the idea of loving the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and nobody can question me on that because that's between me and him, right? And so then he continues, I love my neighbor as myself. Well, if I want to get eternal life, I need to figure out who my neighbor is. Who, Jesus, is my neighbor? Who do I need to take responsibility for? How far do I need to go in the scope of people around me to take care of them? Who do I need to look after, right? This is the question he's asking. What are the boundaries on my neighbor? How far does my neighborhood exist? Who am I responsible for? Right? This is a self-justification question. How far do I need to go to qualify myself to be obedient to the law of God? And this was the mindset of the Jewish people at the time. There were laws, and you met the qualification of the law, and then you were good. Right? There's letter of the law and then spirit of the law. And he was looking for the letter of the law. How far do I need to go? And then no further, because these people are my neighbors, but those people are not my neighbors. These people are my neighbors, that guy's definitely not my neighbor, okay? That's what he's asking. Who is my neighbor? Anybody ask yourselves that question? Right? Some of you are like, I don't want to admit that, okay? I don't want to be the lawyer in this story. Okay, so that's fair. So the first question, who is my neighbor? What was the second question? It was a little more tricky. Okay. Second question. Yeah, which one of these was a good neighbor, right? So, the first question was asked by a lawyer, who do I need to take responsibility for? Yeah. The second question, Jesus asks, and he rephrases the question to make the lawyer answer the answer that is holy and just, but also the most difficult for the lawyer to answer. So much so, the lawyer doesn't even say the Samaritan, because it just... A good Jew can't even begin to fathom saying the Samaritan was the good one. So he says the one who had compassion, right? But Jesus asked this question. How can I be a neighbor? Who is the good neighbor? Right? The implication is, lawyer, how can you be a good neighbor regardless of who you are dealing with? The good neighbor is the one who has compassion on anyone. Right? It doesn't matter who it is. And Jesus forced this lawyer, turning the question around, saying, not who qualifies for you to serve them, but how do you be a good neighbor? Right? Totally different question. Right? Not who's in my little bubble, but how can my bubble be expanded to take care of more people? Right? So two questions. Ultimately, Jesus makes the lawyer agree with him. Right? The Samaritan was the good guy. This was a detestable idea to a Jew, a good Jew, because the priests are revered and so are the Levites and the Jews are revered. The Samaritans are not. And at the end of the parable, the Samaritan, the Jewish guy had to admit, the lawyer had to admit that the guy he hated the most in the world, the archetype of his most detestable person was the one who did the thing that was right and pleasing before God. The people who don't even love God or worship God. Jesus said, well, he did the right thing. And you holy people, you just totally missed the book. Because you're so looking for your own little bubble instead of expanding. 
So, um, what, how do I phrase this? Um, how do you become a good neighbor? Have you ever thought about that? Like the difficulties that it takes to become a good neighbor? Or maybe you think, I am a good neighbor. Let's challenge our assumptions this morning. Um, let's look at the, the priest and the Levite. What did they do in scripture? They came down that rocky path, right? And they saw the dude bleeding and naked and suffering and moaning, right? And what did they do? Yeah, they saw him. And then they went to the other side of the road and they kept walking. Because maybe if they touched him, if he was dead, they'd become ritually impure, right? They couldn't do their duties anymore. But they had just come from Jerusalem, so they must have already done their duties, right? So it's not like they were going to the temple to make sacrifices. They're going away from the temple. But they didn't want to become unclean. They didn't want to bother themselves. So they walked on the other side of the road. Put their blinders on. Don't see the person in need. Keep walking. It's going to be difficult for me. I don't want to make my life more challenging. I don't know if it's a trap. I'm a little scared about what happened. I'm just going to keep walking. Pretty soon you can't hear the groans anymore. Pretty soon the naked hurt person's behind you, and you keep going on with life. Now, the Samaritan, he sees the naked hurt person. Now, maybe it's a trap, right? Maybe the robbers are trying to trap him because he will have compassion. Maybe that's their ploy. But whatever the case, he goes over there. He risks his own energy and time and resources, and he bandages the guy up, and he puts the guy on his donkey, and he takes the guy to an inn, and he pays for the guy to stay there, and he sacrifices a whole bunch of stuff, and then he says, if it costs you more, I'll pay it on my way back, right? Two totally different ways of taking care of your neighbor. To become a good neighbor, you must overcome human boundaries, okay? You must overcome human boundaries. You must look beyond your own little bubble, because the lawyer says, who's in my bubble that I need to take care of? Let's the human boundaries define for me who I'm responsible for. But God says, you don't have human boundaries. You need to overcome. You need to transcend the boundaries that culture places on you. So, does it matter if someone is of a different nationality? No. Does it matter if, if someone is of a different socioeconomical background? No. Does it matter if they speak your language? No. Does it matter if they're male or female? Adult or child? No. Does it matter if they completely live a lifestyle that is absolutely horrifying to you in every way, shape, or form? No. The answer is no, okay? Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, does anything matter except that they are a fellow human being who walks the face of the earth made in the image of God, right? Overcome human boundaries. You are not to look at people like you see people with categories and justifications and your own views and your own qualifications for who deserves your time and energy and resourcing. You are to overcome human boundaries so that you may be a good neighbor, right? To anyone in need. Secondly, well, this Samaritan made human sacrifice, or made, uh, willingly made sacrifices, right? He didn't make human sacrifices. <laughs> I had a thought about this one, okay? And then I skipped, okay, so let me say my thought and then we'll clarify. No human sacrifices, okay? Um, overcoming human boundaries, okay? Overcoming human boundaries means that it doesn't matter who the human is, okay? But you are going to make sacrifices yourself 
to be able to meet the needs of someone else. The Samaritan knew the Jews didn't like him, okay? And so he made sacrifices. And then he loved someone who wasn't going to love him, right? Okay, so overcoming human boundaries, no human sacrifices, and then make willing sacrifices. What did the Samaritan do? Okay, what else did the Samaritan do? Right? He paid two days' wages, minimum, right? Used up his supply of oil and wine, right? Probably ripped his own clothing to bandage the guy. He walked and put the guy on his beast of burden, right? That tells you how bad off that guy was, okay? This guy made immense amounts of sacrifices, even going so far as to take the guy to an inn and taking care of him overnight to make sure that he was nursed back to health well enough that he could survive on his own the next day. He made immense sacrifices willingly for a guy that, if was healthy, would curse him and spit on him and say, I can't be near you, you horrible, evil sinner. God doesn't love you. That's what the Jew would have done, but the Samaritan didn't do that. The Samaritan gave so willingly of everything he had. To be a good neighbor, one must overcome human boundaries and make willing sacrifices. And expect nothing in return. Right? We don't scratch someone's back to get our back scratched later on. That is not how the economy of God works. The economy of God is we go beyond the human boundaries. People say, don't hang out with that people. We say, we're going to hang out with those people. Right? And then when they have a need, we're going to go above and beyond. Right? That's why we call our missions offering above and beyond. Going above and beyond the call of duty, making sacrifices so that that person's needs might be met, right? And we do it without expecting anything in return. Never, ever, ever should there be a hint in our heart of, I'm doing this for you, but I'm gonna make you kind of feel guilty about it so that one day when I have a need, you'll feel obligated to repay me. I'm gonna give you a ride somewhere, but I'm gonna make you know how out of the way I had to go, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill your tank with gas this month, but Man, we're a little short on the diamond, and I'll do it for you just this one. Never should we ever say those things. Never should we ever imply that we expect something in return, okay? We go beyond human boundaries. We make willing sacrifices, and the part of a willing sacrifice is that it's willing, right? You're willingly giving up those things to someone else, never expecting anything in return. Now, I'll ask the question that Jesus asked. Who was the good neighbor? The Samaritan, right? Because he did all of those things, all of those godly, holy, beautiful things that justifies him before God, right? So let's take this home for a moment. There are three typical responses to seeing a need, okay? Three typical responses. Um, There might be more, but these are the broad strokes, okay? And if you have another one in your own heart and mind, Take that to the Lord and see what he will say to you. These are the three that I have identified, one from my own heart and mind, and two from just observation. The first one, ignorance. Okay? That's the priest and the Levite. Now, ignorance might mean having no idea that it's existing. We talked about human trafficking last week, right? And some of you might not have realized that was even an issue in our city, in our state, in our world, right? So there's ignorance meaning not knowing something exists, but there's ignorance going, I choose not to know. I choose to turn a blind eye. 
I know that it happens, but it was not my circus, not my monkeys, right? And so I don't have to participate in this. So we say ignorance, the priest and the Levite, right? Ignorance. Now, God says some things about ignorance to us, and, and I want to um, read some scriptures for you. I'm going to put them up on the board, okay? Um, part of this one's going to be up on the board, and I'll read the, the full quantity of it. Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 through 4. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he doesn't live near you and you don't know who he is, you shall bring them to your house and they shall stay with you until your brother seeks it and then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find you may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. Now you're like, we don't live in the world of donkeys, pastor. There ain't no oxen on the road falling into the ditch. Well, okay, I get that. But let's apply this to the modern context. Does God care about the donkeys and the oxen in this passage? Right. So consequently, does he care about the people in this passage? Right. Okay. So does he care more about people than he does about, say, the birds and the flowers? Right. So therefore, we might say that God's word in the Old Testament still applies to the New Testament, right? So that we are not permitted to ignore the needs of our neighbors, right? Okay, so what about this verse in Jeremiah 22.3? Let me pull it up here. I'm going to read it from my scripture. Jeremiah 22.3. That can't possibly be... Here, I'll just read it there. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Do it. It's an action. Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the alien. We might say refugee. The fatherless or the widow. So combine we are not allowed to ignore and do justice and righteousness, what is God telling us about ignorance? We're not allowed to plead ignorance. To be a good neighbor in today's world, ignorance is not something we're allowed to have. We're allowed to be aware of what is going on. In fact, we are probably supposed to dig in further to the things of the world so that we can't plead ignorance, but that we can say, I know what is going on, and I'm going to do justice, and I'm going to do righteousness, for the sake of the alien, the refugee, the father, the widow, the so forth and the so on, right? Now, ignorance is one of those things. Here's another one. Obligation. You might go, oh, well, I mean, that's not bad. I feel obligated to meet a need at times, you know. But so often when we feel obligated is when we start to say or make people feel like they're an imposition to us, you know. It's an obligation. I'm doing it because I have to, but I don't really want to. I'm doing it because I should, but I don't really care, right? That's obligation, and that can creep into our heart. And here is what Matthew, or here's what Matthew says, um, Matthew 23, 23, okay? Um, Matthew 23, 23. There's obligation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Jesus speaking, 
You are hypocrites. You take tithe from your spice cabinet. Like they are so picky about following the law that not only do they tithe from their income, but they look in their cabinet and they go, oh, 10% of my dill, 10% of my thyme, 10% of my cumin, okay? And they give that to the Lord. You are so particular about tithing that you tithe from your spice cabinet, but you neglect the weightier, more important matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's not about letter of the law obligation. Again, do justice, right? And mercy and faithfulness. It is more important to be faithful and show mercy than it is to tithe from your spice cabinet, right? Who is going to go down to the house of the Lord justified? The guy who says, oh, Lord, thank you that I am not like the tax collector or the tax collector who can't even lift his head and say, I am such a sinner. Again, Jesus shows people that it's not what you expect. It's the people who are humble and have justice and mercy and faithfulness on their side. <coughs> Obligation has no place in the heart of a Christian. Okay? We are not to be obligated for the sake of checking our list off. I have served people today. I feel good about myself. Right? It doesn't work like that. We are never done serving people. Right? You never get to check that box off. There are always more people, always more neighbors to serve. Now, what about this last one? Um, here's the third response that we can have. Um, we've got ignorance covered. We've got obligation covered. Now, the Samaritan was considered the good neighbor. Why? Anybody remember? Because he showed mercy or compassion, depending on your translation, right? The third response is compassion. Okay? Colossians 3, 1 through 11. <laughs> Oh, not 1 through 11. 11 through 13. Reads this way. Colossians 3. 11 through 13. Here on earth, there is not Greek and Jew or circumcised and uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Meaning, we're all one big family on this planet earth. So, therefore, put on as God's chosen Holy ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Put on compassion. Put on kindness, like you put your shoes and underwear on in the morning. Put on humility. Put on meekness and patience. And bear with one another. And if someone has a complaint against one another, forgive them, because the Lord has forgiven you, and so you also are to forgive. Okay? So, Jesus says the correct response is compassion. And the question is not, who is my neighbor, but how can I be a good neighbor? And the answer seems to be compassion, right? Um, how can I be a great neighbor? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Right? No, I didn't either. I always read that story going, oh, that's great, Jesus. Samaritan was a good guy. We even have a law on our books in today's day and age. It's called the good Samaritan, good Samaritan law, right? Because if someone has gotten a car wreck or something dangerous and you know that their life is about to be you know, snuffed out by something and you can go in and pull them from the burning car before it explodes, but maybe they get paralyzed because you pulled them out because they had a broken back. That was still the better thing to do, according to the law, to be a good Samaritan and see a need, right? And regardless of who they are, run into the burning car and make a willing sacrifice. You're going to get hurt doing that, right? And then pull them out, Right? And expect nothing in return. You don't like go to their hospital bed later on and be like, 
Yeah, pay out, dude. Yeah. Right? Who does that? You don't do that, right? When you put it in that context, you're like, of course not, Pastor. But we do that in smaller contexts all the time. Okay? The good Samaritan was the good neighbor. So now we need to ask ourselves, how can I be a great neighbor? How can I, me, Peter, be a great neighbor? And you're like, I don't know, Pastor. Let me help you. Okay? Um, first, you can start at home, right? Being a good neighbor starts with your family. You might not think they're my neighbor, that they're your neighbors, people. You live with them, okay? They are down the hallway from you, okay? Your family is your neighborhood, your first and primary neighborhood, according to God. So you are to lovingly serve and have compassion towards your family. If you can't do it there, you can't do it anywhere else, right? That's the test of your amount of compassion lives within your home. So be compassionate with your family, okay? Now, let's move on out to your oikos, okay? The people, the 8 to 10 people that you see on a regular basis, it might be the bank teller you see every Monday, right? It might be the grocery store clerk. It might be, I don't know who, the people you work with, your coworkers. These people that you see all the time, whether you like them or don't like them, you see them all the time, you have an innate ability to build relationship with them, okay? They're your little personal neighborhood. Nobody else has that same neighborhood as you. Your oikos is your own personal, unique neighborhood. God has planted you in that neighborhood to do something unique and special and to lead them to Jesus. So love your oikos. Now, I'm going to put some stuff up on the slides here, and I want you to write these things down, okay? Because I want to challenge you to go even further, okay? Um, when it comes to your neighborhood, most people think about the houses that live around you, right? Like, that's what we think of when we say the word neighborhood, there's a website called PrayForEveryHome.com. PrayForEveryHome.com. Now, I went to this website, okay? I signed up. It took me like three minutes, okay? And what they do is they ask me my name and my email address, and they ask me my physical address. And what they do then is now every morning, I get emailed to me a list of the five people within a two-block radius of my house. Their names and their addresses. And it's a reminder every morning to pray for my literal neighborhood, right? So this is a no-brainer. Prayforeveryhome.com. You get your email every morning, and it even gives you a prayer to read in case you have no idea how to pray. And all you do is pray for the people that maybe you don't know their names, right? So let's just start by knowing the names of the people that live near you. And you start to pray for them, and you start to remember their names associated with their addresses. And then suddenly, you're getting in your car one day, and you see, you know, Betty Sue, you know, whatever, at 2753 across the street, and you know her name now. And you're like, good morning, how are you? Because you already feel a fondness for her, because you've been praying for her. And she says hi back. And then you start to have a conversation, and then suddenly the person you're praying for, you have a relationship with, right? And then you can ask her, how can I pray for you, right? And then you start praying specifically for her, and then suddenly she says, hey, you go somewhere every Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm going to church. Do you want to come? And you give her a ride to church, and then she gives her heart to Christ. But would that opportunity have been before your plate if you were not praying for them? Probably not, okay? God can work in great ways, but... We're not bumps on a log, right? So we should pray for our neighbor. Now, I do this, and I think it's fantastic. Um, I learned about it at my pastor's retreat this past year, um, and I think it's just such a neat resource, right? You can log in and see all of the people that live in, like, the two-block radius of you. 
but every morning they send you five people. Now, here's the thing. If you don't, in that email, click I prayed for them, they will keep sending you those same five <laughs> names until you pray for them. And I've experienced that because I got lazy one or two days, just being honest, okay? And I was like, dismiss the email. But then I got the same five names the next day and the same five names the next day, and I realized, I don't know who else is praying for these people. I'm the one. I might be the one praying for someone. And I don't know if they have cancer, and I don't know if they've just lost a loved one, and I don't know if their kid is running amok, and I don't know anything about them. But God does. And if I'm not praying for them, who's praying for them? Be a good neighbor. Doesn't take much but time. So go there. Sign up, okay? Now, you can also, in our community, volunteer somewhere, right? This is a good way to love your neighbor. Volunteer at Wish or Path or the Day Shelter or Salvation Army or at the school. Maybe they need reading buddies or at... Um, uh, the Pioneer Home, right? You can volunteer at the hospital. There are ways you can go and love the neighbors around you, okay? I'm just giving you a multitude of information and resources, okay? You find one that speaks to you. Uh, you can go to cs.ncm.org, okay? That stands for Child Sponsorship Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, dot organization, okay? Uh, cs.ncm.org and our church supports two children through the child sponsorship fund which means um, when you give through your above and beyond givings a portion of that goes back to two children that we sponsor as a church so that they have regular meals their uh, clothing their uniforms their schooling medical costs covered okay and uh, we support them until they're 18, and basically they age out of the system. And we've been supporting the same for, I don't know, five years now, give or take, right? But guess what? It's not just a church thing. You can go to cs.ncm.org, and you can find a child. And they allow you to see their pictures and their names and their ages. And you can search by birth month if you have a kid and you want someone that is the same age and the same birth month as your kid so that they can be pen pals together. And you can love on them and pray for them. And just 30 bucks a month makes an impact on a kid's life. You can do that. Now, they're not your neighbor like across the street, but they're your neighbor across the world. Okay? And you can make an impact, and there are stories of kids that have been sponsored through the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries by families that have maintained relationships their whole life, and now they've grown up and they are pastors, right? Because they were poured into by a loving Christian family overseas. You can do that, right? Very exciting. And if 30 bucks is too much, find another family in the church. Right? Maybe a small group or a Bible study can sponsor a family or a kid together, right? Multiple ways to do this, right? Okay, now, so you can sponsor a child. Um, you can foster or adopt here locally, right? We know that that's done here in our community, even here in our church. Families can testify to the joy of that. There are families, kids in our community that need a home, right? And so if we have a home and an extra room, why not go through the time and energy it takes, make some willing sacrifices to get certified and bring some chaos of a kid or two into your home and love them and serve them, right? Because they need a place and they need to know that Jesus loves them. And the best way they can learn that is in family or community. What's stopping you from doing that? Have you ever thought about it? No? Start thinking about it, okay? Let's go one step further. Maybe you're thinking, oh, pastor, um, we can't take someone for our whole lives. We're not at that life stage. Uh, 
our life is just a little bit out of sorts. So I don't know if I can do that. What about one month? Could you bring someone into your home for one month? Is that doable, do you think? I mean, just off the top of your head, one month, give or take? NHFC.org. Uh, National Home for Children, I think is what it is, if I remember correctly. This is an orphanage project, a Christian project, that takes orphanages in the Ukraine area, and while these kids are on their school break, they have nowhere to go. And so this Christian organization says, we will match these orphans with people, Christians, in the United States who can prove that they are faithfully attending a church, that they are a stable family and have resourcing to take care. Okay? And we will match them with an orphan. And the orphan will come and live with them in their family for a month and learn the joy and the beauty of family. They will work on their English skills because, yes, language barrier is a thing. Okay? And they will become part of your family, and then you have relationship with this kid moving forward. They will go back home, and your heart will be rend, okay? And I have a set of friends from college that have done this. They family about our age, um, and uh, they have two, two boys, like three and, three and five. And they said, God wants us to do this. And so they brought in two orphan preteen girls. That's who they were matched with. They brought them into their family for a month. They had to pay the airfare to get them there and back. They had to rent a car to accommodate the larger family size. They went on family vacations, road trips, and they went to places that these kids might not have otherwise seen. They got dental care for these kids and medical care for these kids, and it was all out of their pockets, right? Because they cared and they wanted these kids to feel loved and they wanted these kids to know Jesus even just for a short time. Their hearts were broken when they had to send them back, but they still have a relationship in their pen pals, and now maybe they can even go visit one day now, you know? Maybe they can come back, but they have a relationship that is ongoing. One month, right? It's going to cost a lot of money, but one month can make the difference in a kid's life. If you're interested, nhfc.org, okay? That's what a unique opportunity. Um, if you can't do a long-term thing, you can do a short-term thing. And how cool would it be? Right? If someone in our congregation said, the Lord wants me to do that, but it's going to be thousands of dollars, and I can't do it. What if we as a church body said, yes, we could help with that. We will give to that. We will encourage that. We will find ways to love and serve and support you as you follow God's will. Is that something you guys can buy into? Right? And so if that moves in your heart, let's proceed with it. Let's do it. Let's find a way to make it happen. Right? We are one body, and who could we be to say no to someone who needs a home? Right? Lots of opportunities. Volunteering locally, praying for your oikos, adopting a kid, using um, the NHFC for just a month, um, sponsoring a kid overseas that you, know, you can pen pal with them. All these ways to demonstrate compassion for those that are in need. I'm going to go ahead and pray and close. And just ask that the Lord would move in our hearts to give us compassion. That we might maybe move past ignorance and obligation and into the realm of doing justice and mercy. Lord, this morning we live in a world that is wrecked with sin. I can't flip on the news or read anything these days 
without seeing great plights of need, people, groups, displaced, and children living in bombed out homes, and desperate need even in our own community. Then Lord, it's overwhelming because I can't fix it all, but you can, and you choose to help fix it. You choose to help bring about compassion and mercy through broken, flawed vessels like me. And so, Lord, this morning I pray as a bunch of broken vessels come to the altar to be filled again and renewed, that you might remove any seed of ignorance, any seed of obligation, any of those other seeds that suck the joy out of compassion. And you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us see people for who they really are, regardless of where they come from or the language they speak or the things that they are doing or the places that they have been or their nationality or where they live or anything like that. And you would help us see them as children of the Most High God, just like we are. Maybe they just don't know that yet. And you would help us find a way to love them and serve them. You'd find us a path to become a great neighbor, Father. Oh, that I would be like the Samaritan who would see past human boundaries, who would make willing sacrifices and would never expect anything in return because, Jesus, that's what you did. You looked past all of the boundaries between holy and unholy, clean and unclean, women and men, and you said, I'm going to love them all. Leper, you touched them. And Father, you did it willingly. You willingly went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. It didn't matter who they were. In fact, one of your last words were, forgive them. And Lord, you expected nothing in return. You just left the door wide open for us to walk through. This morning as we worship you, as we are going to sing a song that talks about holy ground, Lord, may we recognize we are on holy ground here. This place that we stand in your presence is your kingdom, an embassy for your compassion and your mercy and your justice. Fill us with that this morning, Father, and send us out as your emissaries to a world that desperately needs good neighbors. We give you grace and mercy, Father. And we ask that you would work in our lives and those around us. Break us if you need to, but then remold us. And we pray this in your name.